You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. There are some monsters that are harder to define than others in this crazy world of high strangeness that we live in. Each phenomena is of course unique in its own way. Some much more confusing than the standard cryptid like Sasquatch or Nessie. This is what we are left to ponder on this episode of Into the Portal. El Chupacabra. A monster that came onto the scene relatively recently depending on who you talk to, that is. Regardless of what descriptions you read or what story you hear, the Goat Sucker has appeared across the Americas, terrorizing animals and some unfortunate individuals in its bizarre wake of confusing attacks, leaving us to wonder what exactly we are searching for. A flesh-and-blood cryptozoological phenomena? Or something else entirely? possibly from another world. Join us on Into the Portal as we discuss the strange and elusive Chupacabra. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back on a regular feed. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This uh, episode's been brewing for a little bit here. We've got mm-hmm. a really creepy one. I, I think this is in honor of last week's, uh, you know, shenanigans. We had Halloween. We had All Hallows' Eve just yesterday, Definitely. too. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, happy uh, belated All Hallows' Eve to those who uh, dressed up on that. We had a few friends, uh, one down in Florida, big events down there yeah. um, with the Latin American community and stuff like that, which is oh, pretty, yeah. pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're getting back into the world of cryptozoology today, kind of the world of UFOlogy potentially as well. A little bit of everything with this story. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a mix. Bit of a mix, <laughs> for sure. Before we jump right into it, though, tiny bit of housekeeping. Not a, not a lot. Really, the only thing I wanted to mention was follow us on our socials, you guys. I always say it at the end of the episode. I'm going to say it off the top of the episode, <laughs> just because we're starting a new month here in November and going to have some cool stuff leading up towards, you know, like the holiday season in December and things like that. So at Into the Portal Podcast on Facebook, join our little Facebook group, uh, the, the ITP forum there, and then at Into the Portal Podcast on uh, Instagram. Instagram. You can find us on Twitter when you search that as well. So come exactly. follow us. Exactly. And you'll get caught up on all the latest and greatest from us and also Strange Pods, our, uh, our network. Yeah. We just announced our Halloween pumpkin car- contest carving winner. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a mouthful. Mm-hmm. So congrats. Yay. We're sending that prize pack out pretty quick here. So yeah. yeah, lots of fun stuff. And we have many, many ideas for other future contests. So yeah. hang tight. Yeah, definitely. Let's, okay. uh, let's get into it. So tonight we're talking about the legendary Chupacabra. El Chupacabra, El Chupa. otherwise known 
as the goat sucker, which of course is the translation of that name. And just to kick things off, general description of this creature, it kind of varies. And as we go through these stories, it's going to get weirder and weirder as we go along, but typically bipedal, right? Four to six feet tall, giant bulging eyes, usually described as having some sort of spikes down its back, long claws, and in some cases described as having wings. Most of them not but some describing wings, which is just terrifying to me. Also, most importantly here for the general description to kick things off, kangaroo-like hind legs, hmm. powerful hind legs. Kind of like a, a crypto creature, spring Jack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> basically, right? Most interesting, though, how is the fact that it's basically a vampire, this creature, the goat sucker. That's right? the main thing to differentiate it from other sort of cryptid creatures that are very very similar because like the more you get into it like yeah i'm glad you start off with that description because it it bleeds into other paranormal phenomena and a lot of people draw different connections different things like even well i had references we'll get into it like to gargoyles or potentially like um uh what's called the jersey devil or something like that you know what i mean there's a lot of crossovers with that i feel like Mm -hmm. but yeah that has to be the kind of crux of this of this creature, the fact that this beast people have claimed was responsible for killing and draining the blood of various different livestock. So like regular, you know, cattle, livestock, and as well as other animals too, just animals in the area. Oh, and not to mention it's human Indeed. victims. Yeah. yeah. No ma- fatalities. No fatalities, of, but, but some, some PTSD from mm-hmm. the alleged encounters for sure. So this is, of course, is what's, what's given it the name, El Chupacabra, the, the goat sucker. Lauren Coleman, who we've mentioned a lot on the show, probably the, one of the most notable cryptozoological uh, sort of writers and researchers, and he, he talked about this, and it's just funny because the, the Chupacabra is so modern. And we think about it like for people who are new on the scene looking at monsters and stuff like that, you might think it's like an OG creature, right? But it's really only been around in popular culture since the 90s, which is just sort of strange. But this is the Mm -hmm. Lauren Coleman description of the creature. So four feet tall on average, thin claws, seemingly webbed-like arms and feet with sharp visible fangs, a lipless mouth, and massive lidless eyes with red, like red eyes. A round head, very much like that of a gray alien. So we're, we're moving, that's moving into the UFO realm there in description wise, but most notably the, the spiny barbs coming out of the back, yeah, which we mentioned at the beginning. Almost like a, almost like a porcupine type thing, but more right. intense, bigger yeah, and a long spine, much. right? Like it's like, mm-hmm. it's not all over the back. It's which is of just... course sounds like some sort of like a reptile like creature when you hear that description, because it's like what in the, what in the modern world looks like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But before we move into some other stuff, let's just come back around to the legs just for, just for a hot second here and talk about the sexy legs of the chupacabra because they're distinctly kangaroo like in their description, which is really interesting to me. Standing on two legs, bipedal, it has been described as being on all fours, but I feel like that's been in like scenarios where it's running or like there's a story here where it's on a rooftop that we get into. But yeah, this essentially allows the chupacabra to leap and bound to great heights. So this is why it's off. It's very easily like it escapes everyone very easily, right? It's there and then it's gone that's very quickly. Inter- yeah, that's really interesting. And to be honest, that almost kind of reminds you of like a grasshopper like thing. So another like insect like appendage. Yeah. Or mammalian if you're going kangaroo. Potentially. <laughs> and of course, this is the reason why there's very little evidence of this creature because it is so quick to get away. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's got the goods to kind of be, uh, suck the blood and get off the scene. Suck the blood, 
move on. <laughs> I think with that note, time to get into some victims. Well, that's just it because they're, it's a prolific monster. And like you said, Andrew, like a lot of this occurred in the nineties. It was kind of the craze of the chupacabra. And in, this is kind of crazy in there, there was a one uh, period of 10 days in which there were reports of 200, approximately 232 cases of animals being essentially victimized, blood drained, um, killed, all that jazz. In a systematic way. In a very, very systematic way. And like we said already, the, the main moniker of this creature is the fact that it is responsible for draining blood of the livestock that it, it, it hunts. Mm. And it just, it's very unnatural. It causes other types of damage too, besides beyond just sucking the blood, there is yeah. unnatural internal damage, things, examples of like organs being removed with no visible, like it's just strange. Like a lot of it seems to be like almost sucked out of the neck area. Very, That would very be odd. the point of incision. Right. And it's just strange. Another thing that kind of supports the idea that it is draining the blood is the fact that many of these victims display no signs of rigor mortis. So that, again, there was one vet that we saw in a, uh, it was a documentary, and they were performing necropsies on the victims and also said that there were actually signs that it was done in a way that would minimize pain. Right, which is pretty, which adds another whole layer to this because it's yeah. not just a... Uh, yeah. I mean, why? Why that? Why the morality factor to this? <laughs> exactly. And it's it's weird because the incisions themselves are kind of made with a lot of precision in a lot of cases. And so again, it kind of leads to this weird sort of, you can easily conflate this with like cattle mutilations that have mm-hmm. occurred all throughout North America and South America. Definitely. Possibly Europe too. I'm not familiar with those cases, but you know, same, same, very... Lots of crossover potential there. Absolutely, with all kinds of UFO stuff. why we're going to get into theories eventually, but a lot of this, I feel like, is a lot of conflations too. But that we'll save that for the end. Sure. <clears throat> but it's interesting because the chupacabra does seem to like to prey on livestock. Pets are also on the menu too. Yes. Dogs, cats, uh, many cases of that. And it's mostly in these Chilean highlands. So this is where the chupacabra hunts. And... Well, this is well before it was ever in Puerto Rico, because obviously right. Chile is a little further south. Indeed. Yeah, so <laughs> and then Chile, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico is a little Rico, bit more uh, Central American. Yeah, and this just goes to show how the spread across la- like like South America, right? Like the South, Central, and North America as it would spread, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of those really weird things, though, because <laughs> the only thing we're really aware of that does exclusively prey off of blood are vampire bats. And yeah. those are very small creatures. They're not they're they're not fatal hunters, you know what I mean? They're more just like parasites uh, if anything. In a way, yeah, they don't they just lap up blood. Of course, there's mosquitoes, there's insects and well, stuff that's like just that too. too. As far yeah. as mammals go, as far as like things that could be the size potentially of the chupacabra. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. not a lot out there, which leads to the idea of whether or not this is a supernatural being, whether or not this is some sort of unknown animal. And there's a lot of people with a lot of different ideas on this. But another weird thing that maybe points to a little bit more of the um, cognitive abilities is the fact that once police seemingly started to investigate one area of attacks, this thing would move on to different regions. 
So almost as if it was intelligent to a certain degree um, and is aware of human authorities seeking it out, searching it, um, trying to track it. Well, it's like a serial killer moving town to town. Kind well, of that's just it thing. too, because I've kind of played around with that idea in my head, whether or not some of these attacks could be actually related to something known as the Chupacabra, if um, a lot more of them could be some sort of weird sadistic cult or something to, along human lines you know what i mean like right or some sort of like weird like subversion of like lycanthropy where someone mm. thinks they're like oh an that's extraterrestrial true. creature draining something of blood but yeah. then you would still have to have the surgical ability it, yeah. and precision exactly that's actually a really interesting idea the idea that it would be a, a hallucination essentially um that's actually kind of interesting. We can come back to that. Yeah, because we'll, we'll another thing that kind of adds to this is the idea that it is smarter than your average um, wild predator in the sense that it can undo latches. It can open doors, cage doors. Like, you know, there's an example we'll pull up in just a minute here of, of an uh, encounter in a chicken coop. Yeah. And there's a lot of just weirdness going on with that. So it seems to be intelligent to a certain degree. And yeah, I don't know. What, what are you making of this? I'm not really sure so far. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into some stories to give you guys some more context. But, like, we've just talked about description and kind of, like, what this was. But, I mean, I, I guess we kind of do just need to jump into the the the, the real origins here to mm-hmm. kind of, like, bring in bring in some more context. Mm-hmm. Just because you've got this little note here, and I think we'll come back around to it, the, the idea of, like, insect-like sort of, like, the incision, like the idea of being drained reminds you of like a mosquito, right? There's no massive mm-hmm. um, hemorrhage. There's no massive like trauma to these animals, right? They're not sliced open. And on top of it, there's not a lot. There's in many, many cases, the majority of cases, there are no visible signs of defensive wounds from the animals, which means either they were um, sedated to a certain degree or maybe hypnotized. Like, you know, what if this creature has some sort of uncanny ability to just suck you in almost like mm, a Dracula like type a, thing. Like a vampire would. Exactly. And, oh, and then another thing too, like we'll get into, there's more specifics uh, about certain types of, um, residue that's left around these wounds and things right. like that, which is like some people have kind of compared it to the things that mosquitoes leave on victims or was yeah. it mosquitoes or was it something else yeah yeah mosquitoes. we have the actual specifics yeah. I, mean, I mean i guess there would be like black flies there's other insects and it, that... it's kind of like a pacification mechanism right it like it puts the it numbs the skin so that the victim can actually feel them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but of course a giant insect like creature wouldn't be targeting areas that are going to minimize pain and, and aren't going to be and and there's there's so much to this too, and we'll come back to this mm-hmm. in the theories, right? The idea too that like a creature the size that the chupacabra is des- described as, the amount of blood it would need to survive, would be more than it would be capable of like consuming in a day. Like there was mm-hmm. math behind that or something like that, like based on its sheer size. Well, but even when we get into the whole rash of victims and things like that, what if it is almost one of those things that comes out every like few decades and right. then goes like back to sleep? Like Jeepers Creepers Exactly, or like Jeepers Creepers. Ooh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Love it. So yeah, many, many date the origins of this creature to the mid-1990s because there was this like, you know, a rash of sightings that occurred in Puerto Rico. But there are other researchers that point to a much, much longer timeline for this creature, or at least a potential timeline for this creature. So yeah, there, there is, this is funny, actually, we found this one website, website, princeton.edu, and we were like, is this associated with the actual, like, with Princeton? Mm-hmm. And we were like, this can't be, it's got to be like a spoof. Turns out it is. Um, it's just this one fun little side project that somebody had done looking at the Chupacabra, and there's a timeline that they put on there. It goes back 
a really long way. So we've got stuff connected to the 1970s, connected to the 1950s, but there is this one interesting account that you guys can take this how you will, but this is from the 1540s. So there's a book written by this guy named uh, Bob Curran. C-U-R-N? Curran. It's titled Vampires, A Field Guide uh, to the Creatures That Stalk the Night. Sounds like a really cool book. That's so cool. But in this book, there's a chapter where he describes an early explorer... I believe, yeah, Spanish explorer named Francisco Vasquez uh, de Coronado. So he had this alleged encounter with the goat sucker in an area of what would be modern day Mexico, roughly the 1540s. So this is a little excerpt from, um, from Bob's chapter here. A legend says that he camped during the night. Coronado's livestock were attacked. It is told that some of his men drove off the attackers, described as small, dark, horny-skinned men with torches and spears. So having tools, weird. In the morning, many of the cattle, which made up uh, the main herd, 1,500 animals, were dead, drained of blood. Despite this setback, Coronado was able to buy cattle from uh, local Indians, replacing most of those that he had lost, and pressed onward in his quest. In the Zuni Indian Pueblo at Haku in western New Mexico, probably not pronouncing that right, he heard tales of strange gray men with knives on their backs who had... uh, who had sporadically fought with the indigenous peoples there in times long past. They could jump, he was told, and drop off uh, their warriors from above. That's interesting. Mm. Killing them with pointed sticks. Weird. It was said um, that the indigenous peoples, uh, dr- uh, sorry, that these things drank blood. It basically kind of continues on a little bit from mm. there. But that is essentially the 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 gist of that excerpt from that chapter. All the way back to the 1540s. So that's kind of that's kind of awesome. And it ends with this little thing here. It says here, these tales were of little interest to Coronado, as his destination was the legendary Cibola, and all this talk of ferocious dwarves was only a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of those ones that gets lumped into me with like. Well, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels. You know what that reminds me of? It what? reminds me of um, the Marco Polo Orang Pendek. Oh yeah, account, yeah. Where it's like. What are we really being described? Like, what's being described here? Is this potentially something related to the modern day troop? I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds very similar. I mean, we have the gray alien comparisons in knives on the, their backs. Yeah, right. Um, the idea that they would quote drop their warriors from above means maybe they have some sort of flying or huge jumping capability. Potentially, yeah. Very that's strange. Creepy man. But. Let's jump ahead roughly 600 years here because we have uh, sightings from the Mm. 1950s. We've got a few here, and it all starts with Joe Uriel in 1955. So Joe, he lived in Arizona at the time, and the story goes he was playing at the chicken coop as a child when he actually saw the door to the chicken coop open. Hmm. Hmm. And a thing, a creature, was standing there. The head was poking through the doorway. No ears was the first thing he noticed. And then he saw the eyes. It was staring at him like it wanted him to come over, luring him in, uh, almost as if he's trying to coerce a new victim. And it actually communicated almost telepathically without oral language. And Joe described this as looking like part kangaroo, part something else. And at the time, like, he was per- quite young, and he thought it could have been, quote, a devil or a creature from outer space. <laughs> and this was a quote from him. He said, it seemed like it was talking to me. Like, hey, come over here. I want you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, I just keep throwing out examples of what this reminds me of, but like <laughs> that reminds me of that movie, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind with whatever that, with Jovo, Mila Jovovich or whatever that was. Just reminds me oh. of like the owl face in the window type thing where it's like there's this figure, there's this face by the chicken coop and it's like telepathically communicating with him being like, come over mm-hmm. here. You know, for me, it really instantly reminded me of what we do in the shadows in that scene where oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Jermaine, well, Jermaine from Flight of the Concords, <laughs> he's like trying to <laughs> see me and <laughs> he ends up tapping on the window like right. the guy turn around <laughs> but very creepy right and that kind of alludes to this idea that this creature does have some sort of um hypnotic ability or something to kind of exactly that pacify and get the victim to drop all all of their suspicions and all just disregard the danger in front of them yeah yeah there's just such an element to all of this too that is just seems so like why like why right like it almost mm. like falls into like the like the, the the grinning man and like stuff like that. Like Indra Cold's like, what are you doing? Like if why are you telepathically communicating with this young boy? Why wouldn't you just take him if you want him? Like what are you what are you even doing there? Maybe there's an element of uh fragility or delicacy. Maybe it has mm. a an exoskeleton that's very fragile. And it, it can't actually go to hand to hand combat. Okay. Or it's so ancient it's falling apart. <laughs> These Anyways, are all very interesting. This is just ideas. me just um Shots in the dark there. We have another one, uh, a couple actually from the mid-70s, and these are more brief and not exactly related to sightings of the creature. However, evidence that the creature could have possibly been in this area. Potentially. Potentially. And this is a very loose connection, and a lot of people can draw different connections to other things. However, in Brownsville, Texas, early 1970s, there was a bull found mutilated and without blood. So the idea that the blood was drained, again, kind of ties back into the chupacabra as opposed to just a classic cattle mutilation. Yeah. Um, Again, classic scenario where there's no tracks around the body, no evidence of anything you know, no cleanup, no nothing. It's just bizarre, kind of a skinwalker thing, you know? And then again, in Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley, there was another rash of cattle mutilations where the blood was removed to the last drop, as per the reports. And this was actually connected to sightings of a, quote, condor bird-like creature. So a massive Mm. winged creature that... Which we talked about in our uh, Thunderbirds episode in Texas. Oh, we did, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a weird crossover and like the chupacabra is typically not described as having like wings it's just a it's a spine-backed like weird that's the weird there is discrepancies there yeah definitely but i guess but i mean yeah i don't know there's definitely crossover obviously with 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 the cattle and this is all before the 90s this is before before the actual like name chupacabra was a thing exactly so people could have been you know um, assigning their own like uh yeah you know names and whatever else but there's obviously connected to the Puerto Rico rash, um, a huge amount of cattle mutilations, um, many of them accompanied by these sightings of like, quote, usually a dog-like creature standing on two legs and... A were-vampire. Yeah, no, it is kind of like a were-vampire. And the fact that it is standing on two legs does kind of lead me away from just the simple um, conclusion that it was a dog with mange or a coyote with mange or something like that. And that's a very prominent theory. And I think definitely has some weight Sometimes, with some stories, but not with all. To some extent. To some extent. But we'll break all that down mm-hmm. in a little bit here. Ground zero, as far as like the, the, you know, the epicenter of the actual chupacabra, like we're going by that name, that was the nineties. So there was this lady by the name of Madeline Tolentino. She was from, uh, Canovanas. So this is a town east of, um, 
you know, like the capital in Puerto Rico, right? So like this is 1995, so like mid-90s. I don't know <clears throat> the exact month this happened. But she spotted what she described as a, quote, a scary alien-like creature outside of her window. So once again, hearkening back to my memories of fourth yeah. kind, like the face in the window, right? Like you're being watched. And this is a young girl, which is just like, man, the the mashup of like everything's connected is just happening to my head right now. I'm short-circuiting. <laughs> like, is there poltergeist related to this too? Young girl, oh my God, everything's connected. No. Um, but <laughs> Well, just wait till we get to the grinning man. There's there's actually a poltergeist <laughs> oh, yeah. connection there. Maybe. No maybe. <laughs> but it was her story that kind of launched all of this. So she she obviously you know, reported it, like told, told her family, got out in the small community there, and then it kind of traveled really fast. And after this story came out, there was more reported sightings. And links were made by the media um, to then the livestock that were being reported drained of blood to this sighting okay. that this that this girl had. And Chupacabra was born. A little bit later, in 96, there was a llama attack in Puerto Rico. This guy, uh, Senor Espinoza, he had this family llama who that was attacked. He studied the animal and found uh, the liver completely drained of blood. Um, the wounds were clean and perfect. Incisions were basically like per- made to perfection like a like a surgeon would do there was no hmm. scratches from the animal whatsoever there was no, it didn't put up a fight which is very very strange not again yeah that's and i i don't actually remember if this was the same guy but i believe this uh espinoza guy was a vet and and he was able to do his own yeah would to look at his own um, livestock right mm-hmm. so there was absolutely no damage in the animal pen Okay, the the animals were very very puzzling. That like the bites were evident on the back of the neck. Okay, so this is what you mentioned earlier: clean and perfect in an area would that would cause no pain, penetrating to the chest and heart region. Very that's strange. weird. That's a big ass straw, right? <laughs> yeah, Sucking if we're thinking up. like insect like creature, just picture that in your mm-hmm. head for a second, like what that would be like. And that's exactly what Espinosa thought had to be the case. Right. So like a proboscis. Very much like a mosquito, right? A sucking and draining feature. So, like, that would have to be the case with these animals. Unless you have some sort of instrument, like an alien mite, I suppose you would say. Yeah. Or you got really inventive and you took your Dyson vacuum and customized a appendage that was very slim. And then you could insert it through a tiny hole in the back of the neck of an animal and then just All suck everything to- out. Get some blood and mess with. I feel this like guy. the vacuum method would be a little bit messier than and louder. <laughs> but the thing is, too, the idea of blood being drained—you can't literally just stick a big straw into an animal and just drain the blood. No. Like it has to go through the veins, and like you know what I mean. I know veins are everywhere in your body and capillaries. No, but you're right though. It has to have. There's some precision to it. You can't just mm-hmm. stick a straw in and go for it. It's not like shop vac. It's not like a shot. You can't. No. <laughs> you can't do that. This was accompanied with an actual sighting of the creature by this guy. So Espinosa, and this is where the winged description comes in as like one of the sort of one-offs here. So he saw the creature on his roof, so much like like a lot of people have seen, on four legs. But I mean, that could mean anything, right? Like crouching down, whatever it may be. But when it mm-hmm. stood up, it revealed small wings. Very strange. It jumped hmm. off the roof with these sort of wing-like appendages and then onto another roof about tw- uh, 18 roughly 18 to 20 feet away mm-hmm. in this description. So that's pretty far to just jump, right? Mm-hmm. His next sighting was in broad daylight. Okay. So yeah, no, this guy was a veteran, uh, veterinarian and he was a teacher too, local, local college of veterinarians or whatever, right? He was with students and they had this sighting too 
on this in broad daylight. It looked like a dog on its hind legs with small wings hiding in the trees. And uh, yeah, the students that were with him described this creature as gray in color. So once again, kind of a strange, like it clearly doesn't have fur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's not, like, a... like is it scaled? At this point, we don't really know what no. this thing's skin is like. All we know that it's usually dark in color, lipless with spikes. So basically. weird, man. It's like a reptilian porcupine uh, alien crossed with a vampire. Because like the jumping from the roof off to the other roof that's about 18, 20 feet away reminds me again. Sorry, guys. So many just like pop culture references that just keep popping in my head. But um, 30 Days of Night. Hey, that was like Very their main. They were so. leaping from roof to roof. Mm-hmm. And those were definitely vampires. But anyway. Well, they have super strength, right? And they have super abilities. So this makes yeah. that makes sense with this creature. I exactly. Guess. Well, we had some more stuff in the '90s here, though. Yeah, we're not we're not even close to finished. Well, actually, maybe I don't know. Um, this was a really interesting one, Evelyn Esbury, and this occurred sometime in the mid '90s. There wasn't an exact date on it, but she was one of the few that actually had a face to face encounter with El Chupacabra, and this was very traumatic for Esbury. She she was just a very traumatized individual after this happened. And I would be too, because if I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and this happened to me, um, yeah, probably mm, traumatized. Yeah. So it was about 5 a.m. when she had the, the natural urge and she had to go outdoors because they just had an outdoor toilet. That sucks. I couldn't imagine that. No good. That reminds me of The Office when Dwight's like, oh, but we've only got one bathroom and it's underneath the porch. Mm. <laughs> Bad planning. Yeah. But anyway, she describes how she... This is kind of vague, but I the way that she describes this, almost as if she was like either just getting off the toilet or, you know, just finishing up. Finish kind of up. When something brushed against her butt. Oh. Mm, yeah. And all she saw was big teeth and big eyes and something lunged at her. And it smelled god-awful. It attacked her, biting and scratching. She did receive wounds. There were wounds on the back, um, on her back, sorry, and long foremark scratches down the fronts of her arms. Creepy. Very creepy. And she basically collapsed. She fainted. Uh, she was found collapsed and bloody on the ground by her husband, where she was rushed to the hospital. And, of course, <laughs> hospital officials just denounced her, said that she had inflicted these wounds herself. Right. And that she needed mental help. That's nice. Yeah. Great times. Hmm. Easy, easy answer. Very easy. Right. Well, if you don't, you can't just chalk it up. You can't write that on a hospital report. Oh, chupacabra, chupacabra attack. attack. That's just going to, that's going to make things even crazier, right? Because there was a lot of like, a lot of frightened people, a lot of um, um, media hype and all that. At the well, time. And, and the authorities were trying to downplay all of it. So like when mm-hmm. the first sightings came out, and we mentioned this in a sec, but like coming out in the nineties, they, they basically would go investigate and then immediately just be like pack wild dogs. Done. Done. Done with story. Nobody, no need to worry. We figured it out. It's all good. Then it would happen again. Mm-hmm. And so they were definitely downplaying and it was probably passed along to medical officials at local hospitals as well. Oh, of course. And the interesting thing about this case is like Esbury, she was convinced of her attack, her encounter, her family supported her hundred percent. And not only them, but there was actually one of the medics. So an ambulance paramedic. And he was on the scene um, at her 
at her attack. So this guy, Rodolfo, sorry, Gonzalez, he saw these scratches running parallel from top to bottom of of Evelyn, so on her back, on her arms, and did not believe that she self-inflicted these wounds. And mysteriously, even weirder is the fact that they healed miraculously fast. Yeah. And that isn't very typical. It's very typical of a paranormal type. Like, even, like, we've encountered this with, um, um, poltergeist type phenomena, right? Where the yeah. wounds heal themselves. Yeah, and, and her very, husband very was asked about this too. Like we, we saw a little clip um, of her husband being interviewed, her and her husband being interviewed, but he was like pretty noticeably like freaked out by the whole incident. And he made the comment like, he, he's the one who brought this up, that they healed really fast, mm-hmm. which is like, does that have something to do almost like with the potential residue that this creature leaves. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about like a residue that a mosquito would leave, mm-hmm. but like why would it heal more quickly? And this isn't a case with the puncture hole. This is just a straight, violent, strange attack. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't get its way. Like it didn't go as planned or something. Weird though, because she was found unconscious. It's not that she fled. So it easily could have got what it wanted. Unless it was Presumably. looking for like a certain type of blood or something and it didn't <laughs> like what it, didn't like the menu. Yeah, it didn't know. like Like, the like menu. literally though, I, I don't know. I'm, well, yeah, and and Esbury herself, like she's a very interesting character. She actually believes she has a telepathic link with this creature, and that it can follow her and subdue her telepathically. And so, this is another interesting sort of manipulative mind Jedi mind tricks type thing, right? Like we had that first encounter in the nineteen fifties, and now this, where this creature seemingly has a hold on its victims, very similar to a vampire's hold, and. Yeah, I don't know. That was the weirdest part about this for me, for her specifically, was mm-hmm. this ongoing this ongoing connection. And yeah, it was funny because we were watching Animal X. They did a, <laughs> a so documentary. Funny. Funny so little, good. Yeah, it's, it's just hilarious. But anyways, they theorized that perhaps this is why there seems to be no flight or fight wounds on any of the animal victims of the Chupacabra. Yeah. Maybe similarly they are mentally subdued which makes sense mm-hmm. which sounds just so much like extraterrestrial activity obviously and not cryptozoological phenomena yes and it's funny too because the crossover to ufology and even just strange paranormal stuff like that like i always think skinwalker because it's a ranch because there's lots of animals involved in that case specifically but you can go all, down all sorts of roads yeah. there was another interesting one here this was a 1995 report puerto rico of mm-hmm. course um, a little bit more generic, though. It basically was talking about how the chupacabra was blamed in a bunch of deaths. So this is dozens of turkeys, rabbits, goats, cats, dogs, even horses and cows. And there was another creepy encounter where it was supposed to have ripped open a bedroom window of a house in the north central city of Caguas and destroyed a stuffed teddy bear, leaving a puddle of slime and a piece of rancid white meat on the windowsill. Mm-hmm. And this creature, again, had these huge red eyes, described as hairy arms, though. Hmm. Hmm. So we're getting reports of hair. What I think, too, when I hear that is when you look at like um, a macro-sized image of a fly, what do you see? You see all sorts of sensors, like these like hair-like appendages that protrude from all areas of the fly. Right. So maybe that could be another sort of feature that's just me putting my two cents so no that that's that that yeah this actually the creature does remind me a lot of uh jeff goldblum when he changes over in, yeah, in, in the, the fly. fly totally like yeah. uh because yeah like that yeah like i don't even know like we don't have to go one way or the other like mammal insect alien whatever this could be some sort of strange hybrid anomaly 
the hybrid anomaly. Mm-hmm. This one's kind of sad. This next one here. This was again. So this is Chile. So we're moving away from Puerto Rico for this one. Late 1990s. It was a veterinarian um, by the name of Dr. Ariel Cortez, and they were responsible for performing a bunch of necropsies of the chupacabra victims, and they described some very similar. So some patterns emerged. Always in the chest area, the wounds were missed, like um, located, I should say, along with different organs that were missing, including bladder, kidneys, and liver. So he was comparing, there was two cats that he was comparing. And in the cats, of, so in one cat, there was all these organs missing. And then in the other cat, there was um, the lungs and the blood drained, so completely drained. Yeah. And there was a thick congealed saliva around the wounds, as well as a seminal substance that is very similar to something. Sorry. It was a similar substance. <laughs> sorry. That was my typo. So is that a typo? <laughs> <laughs> it was my seminal. Looked, I, I was that, reading that. Oh it looked my like Lord. a technical that's, description. That's, I thought it was a word. That's dangerously close to the word. Uh, seminal. Mm. See, seminal. Well, um, you know what? The substance you're describing isn't that far off. This thing likes <laughs> to get off. <laughs> this thing. The chupacabra is a kinky uh, cryptid. But a very similar substance that would have been left by a mosquito or another blood-sucking insect right. or animal such as a um, vampire bat. Which doesn't actually technically suck blood, just to be clear. It bites and then laps it up like a, a vampire bat, unlike a mosquito that literally does have like a a, a, a pr- protruding, what's it called? A uh, We just said the word. Proboscis. A proboscis. proboscis. Hmm. But interestingly enough, so going back to the, the vet, like they described how it was like, Basically, the first time they'd ever seen any injuries like these, very unnatural in origin. There had to be something weird going on here. And this was done, like, based on experience, right? So, like, he had examined several different animal bites on many, many multiple occasions beforehand and had never really come across anything like this. Hmm. Yeah. So, again, very, very odd. Mystery deepens. And the missing organs part of this description is slightly different than just the straight, you know, mutilations or drained of blood. This reminds me, <laughs> I just keep saying that. That's like the theme of the episode. <laughs> this is like, yeah, like harvesting organs is another thing altogether. Do you know what I mean? And that was another thing that is connected to mutilation, though, too. Like, right. they kind of go hand in hand. Like, whether, like, in some cases, there'll be like the ear missing on a calf or there'll be the entire neck skin missing like peeled away with like such precision that that could be done with nothing else but a scalpel i think the part about this that's just so and it's the same goes for any like ufo case where we're talking about similar stuff that makes this all so like terrifying and just and, and just especially strange is the fact that like it's so abject the thoughts that we can even try to have as as to why as to like what this is for even though it's like, even if we had like an actual description, like in English, like say, say we had some sort of like, you know, like the ghost typewriter in the basement that just like chupacabra, like men- telepathically types us out a, a reason why, but it wouldn't make any sense probably. You know what I mean? Like we wouldn't even be able to perceive what is happening. And I find that to be the most terrifying thing. It'd be like a red green explanation. It would be a red green explanation. <laughs> but I need this blood so that I can power my remote controlled <laughs> battery operated uh, speedboat speedboat or sure whatever. okay mm-hmm. like yeah it would just be it would just make absolutely no sense anyway that's that's my absolutely um, it'll be the first blood-powered boat <laughs> blood-powered boat there you go but like okay so we've gone through 
sightings all the way back from potentially the 1540s up through 50s, 70s, into the 90s. The 2000s things would sort of slowly start to shift, I guess you would Mm -hmm. say. Descriptions would sort of subtly change. There was a different type of chupacabra, if you will, that sort of arrived on the scene in a lot of ways. So the descriptions shared a lot of similar traits as the earlier sightings, but was less alien-like in general in the overall description. So the spines on the back were becoming more and more absent in descriptions as it was moving further north into the United States, even though we have a sighting from 1955 from Arizona that was very much the typical mm-hmm. chupacabra description, right? Yeah. But yeah, a, a, a distinct lack of spines, lack of any wing-like appendages. This time, it was more described as like a, a hairless, bipedal, sort of dog-like monster, if you will. On four legs. Either on, yeah, either usually on, on four legs, but also sometimes seen on two legs. And this is where we get into sort of the mange ridden coyote, mange ridden dog, wild dog yeah. description of this. And all the reports going along with that are the, the bodies of chupacabras that are, you know, popping up too, which are definitely just mangy coyotes and dogs right. and all that. But. Right. What's kind of interesting about, about this sort of shift into the 2000s, though, is that the, this particular chupacabra isn't just based off of like sightings and descriptions, but also off of some alleged chupacabra bodies that were discovered. And this is why I feel like there's this conflation with like manger and coyotes and stuff like that, because people were saying they I've found a deceased chupacabra or I've killed a chupacabra on my farm. So this is from a BBC article. And this most of these turned up in Texas, other sort of southwestern U.S. states. There's this particular researcher, uh, I'm missing the first name, Radford was the last name, but he was looking into this. There was about a dozen in total, but for the most part, really what he was given was photographs of quite horrific-looking, hairless coyotes with a gaunt appearance with burnt-looking skin, which is yeah. what this mange does. Yeah. And it does make them a little crazy. It it's can. sad. It's like the it's the animal equivalent of scabies. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. It's caused by mites, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And it basically, it's bacteria um, that infests the skin. Yes. And it's very itchy, very painful. But here's sad. The, but here's the thing. I know it, it totally is. But here's the thing, though. These creatures are common. Okay, like this, this condition isn't even even that rare. Like these things are out there, especially in these areas. And people who are living in these on farms or in rural places that see coyotes, that see manger, you know what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. It's like the, it's like the Joe Nickel owl thing. Or even um, the ABC's The Alien Big Cats of Australia. Yes. Where it's like a lot of people were seeing house cats. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Which yeah. in video though the video is like it's hard to tell it's the sizing. Harder. Yeah, if you don't these would be a little bit more definitive, right? right. You're, you can do DNA tests. You can, you, yeah. But I, yeah, and that's just it. I guess some of the bodies were so like you couldn't really tell if it was a coyote or not. So they were they were analyzed, and literally this is the gambit of results: coyotes, dogs, raccoons. Uh, there was even one that was actually a fish. <laughs> How and I'm thinking to myself, thing? like, this, that had to have been, like, a sturgeon or something. I don't even... With, like, legs taped onto it. Like, how do you mistake that? Like, I don't even... In Texas? Maybe a catfish. Maybe something I, weird like that. I guess. Like, I'm not sure. That's just a strange That's one. That's quite bizarre. That's a strange one. That is. So, what the hell are we dealing with here? Okay? There's varying descriptions that we've talked about so far. There's... Everything from cattle mutilations to potential uh, UFO sightings and activity that we're going to get into in just a sec. But let's just try to gather our thoughts here before we move into the next category. Where are you at? Where are you at right now? 
I'm right where all of our listeners are. Very <laughs> hopelessly confused. Perplexed. <laughs> Perplexed. Basically. Why? Well, I'm just going to throw that right back at you. Where okay, are you fine. at? Okay, fine. We'll jump right into this then. You're what? Talk no, I'm throwing it back at you. Where oh, are you oh, at? Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> you're not getting away from the question. <laughs> I'm just trying to get away from the question. Hmm. I'm definitely leaning alien. And that's where <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm leaning that this is a, yeah, that this is some sort of a visitor that, yeah. man. Hmm. Not quite there yet. I'll answer that in a sec. All right, but first, a promo break. Good evening, everybody, or morning or afternoon or whatever. My name is Adam. And I'm Matt. And we are Graveyard Tales. Now, if you like stories of ghosts, hauntings, the paranormal, preternatural, and the downright weird, and you enjoy a few laughs as well, then you should probably check us out. Find us anywhere you get your podcast. Come join our Facebook group at Graveyard Tales Podcast or on Twitter at G-R-V-E-Y. Just go search Graveyard Tales. That would be easier. We look forward to seeing you in the graveyard. See you soon. And we're back. Okay. I'm ready to jump into some UFO stuff because yep. this is what I'm leaning towards with this whole story, with this creature, with all of these sightings, because Whoa. it's just, it seems the most logical for me. We, I, I pull, <laughs> <laughs> UFOs, the most logical. <laughs> we we need a shirt. T-shirt. Oh my God. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Okay. So I, I pulled this quote from an article written by Tobias Wayland. So he's a contributor at the Fortian Network, the singular Fortian Network. So you guys should check out their mm-hmm. website. You, so this is a quote from one of his articles. UFOs were first associated with the Chupacabra phenomenon during the 1975 Vampire of Mocha attacks. Okay. Strange lights in the sky were seen in Puerto Rico and locals had worried that perhaps the creature responsible was some sort of alien. The UFO report often came from the same area as the attacks and the frequency of both phenomena seemed to increase simultaneously. Hmm. So this is with also you know, cattle mutilations with livestock deaths. Oh, we're solving the UFO mystery. They're all powered by blood. <laughs> that's this entire time. That's what it's been. Hemoglobin to the max. Hemoglobin. It's not element 115. (laughs) It's, he had, Bob Bob Lazar had it all wrong this whole time. Okay, 1975, the small community of Mocha, Puerto Rico, was essentially, they were put on alert, okay? So everyone was in a state of fear because of this municipality being essentially attacked, okay? So this is in the northwest region of the island, and these attacks occurred... They were very much similar to, like, the later Chupacabra attacks with some subtle differences. So, like, okay, numerous researchers reported that their uh, – <laughs> <Researchers>. Sorry, researchers. <laughs> ranchers reported of livestock being either slaughtered or drained of blood, drained of massive amounts of blood or all of their blood entirely. So either, like, small puncture wounds and just partially drained, completely just massacred, no, no incisions surgical at all, or no blood, completely gone. Hmm. This is in 1975. Okay, so yeah, we're going back to the 70s. Interesting. Okay, continuing on here. According to several sources in the first area that experienced these attacks, this was in the Barrio Rocha region, where several goats, pigs, a whole bunch of chickens, and apparently more than two dozen cows were all found dead. There were puncture marks on their bodies, as well as deep claw-like wounds pierced through the various degrees of skin on these animals. Hmm. So we got a head piercer thing going on. 
Interesting. Yeah. So this has got the surgical incision, also extremely violent wounds. Weird, right? So this is different than Chupacabra later in the 90s. It almost seems so deep claw-like wounds. I wonder if those could be categorized as defensive wounds. Maybe the Chupacabra got smarter in the 90s. Like the animals were fighting back and it was trying to pin them down and that's what the wounds are from? Perhaps. They're not described as uh, defensive wounds, but perhaps maybe they could have been. I wonder. I don't know. Obviously, people were panicking, though. So locals panicked. The, the, the farmers were spreading this word, and people were, were freaked out. They were, they were putting their livestock away earlier. Pets and children were, like, off the streets, like, in day, daylight. It was, it was tough times. And the police there tried to defuse this entire controversy by immediately attributing the attacks to nothing stranger than a pack of wild dogs, which is, like... Dude, like, I'm sorry, but I've seen these packs of wild dogs, well... Maybe not as wild, but, you know, dogs that definitely don't have a home. This is in Mexico, though. This is in Puerto Rico. But but it's going to be similar. It's very similar. These dogs are not vicious. No. They're desperate, maybe, sometimes. Perhaps. But they're not. But they're not insane. But and dogs, that's the thing. Dogs, generally speaking, like, their evolutionary trajectory has been to always befriend humans in order to get what they want. They're not like wolves, where wolves have more of like a vicious side to them. Right. But anyways, I, I know dog attacks happen all the time. I'm not saying that dogs aren't capable of that by any means, but yeah. But once again, the, the wounds inflicted don't indicate dogs, mm-hmm. right? Like it just doesn't exactly. make sense. Plus, I made this note here. It's like, obviously there were wild dogs and coyotes and things, but it's like, they're not exactly in massive supply in this small mm-hmm. community. Sure, there's stray dogs, but like massive packs of rabid wild dogs killing livestock systematically and not being caught <laughs> again again another <laughs> reference to what we do in the shadows remember the scene where it's the the dog gets blamed for oh, the wolf attacks yeah. <laughs> it's like the sweetest little collie ever and it's like oh, we're gonna have to put this dog down <laughs> poor dog <laughs> yeah. this would go on for just over a week so on the 7th of March, 1975 there was the first official witness of this alleged creature causing these attacks Maria uh, Acevedo. So she spotted some kind of creature when it landed landed loudly (laughs) on top of her roof. So again, Chupacabra, like smashing on people's roofs and freaking them out if you believe this is the same creature. So yeah, it seemed to slip, she described, on her metal-plated roof, but she did see the creature. So I mean, are we looking at a Chupacabra or is this at least something related to the Chupacabra? This is what she described in a nutshell. A large, screeching, winged beast at a glance seemed to resemble a prehistoric bird of some kind. Ooh, we're getting to Thunderbird territory here. So, okay. I mean, yeah, we had that connection up there in Texas. But that's kind of a an odd description. A large, screeching, winged beast that seemed to resemble a prehistoric bird. It's yeah. an owl. <laughs> it's an owl. Had to be an owl. But this would go on for some time. Like this would happen for, for the next little bit and systematically, but not in a humane way like the, the Chupacabra attacks were described to be. Some of these reported killings were just straight up massacres, like no blood being sucked at all, just straight up slaughtered creatures for seemingly no reason at all. But are these separate incidents attributed to the vampire? Like this all happened at the time of these various UFO sightings. So... Is there okay. a link here? Is there, was there a, so, okay, so let's, that's let's, what I'm waiting for here. I'm like, where's the UFO okay, connection? So, so the UFO, UFO reports often came uh, from the same area as the attacks, as I mentioned earlier. So, and the, fr- the frequency 
picked up simultaneously, okay? So essentially what was seen above Mocha in 1975 was an enormous cigar-shaped object hovering in the air uh, over the suburb of uh, Coupe nearby. It reportedly shined yellow lights from what appeared to be rectangular-shaped portholes on the side of what was clearly a craft. Mm. Two months later in May... There were three more objects seen. These were star-like objects that flew over the town of... Farajo. Farajo. There we go. And with this is, There we go. <laughs> there was D. Let's go with that. So star-like objects, three of them, which is... We've seen this before where there's like UFO... Um, that reminds me of like the Kenneth Arnold where there's like yeah. more than one at, happening at the same time, right? Yeah, a formation of sorts. Right. And witnesses swore that the objects were neither natural nor man-made... And later that month, uh, over the skies of Rio uh, Piedras and San Juan, they were filled with large glowing balls of light that were apparently the size of a ho- like the size of houses, and dark objects with red light on top. So these and essentially these crafts were performing strange aerial maneuvers before quickly returning into like out of sight into the night sky. Mm-hmm. This would happen a little later on in the nineties as well when. The chupacabra was sort of slowly starting to kick off a little bit. Witnesses reported luminous oval and pyramid-shaped UFOs. We're getting the gambit of UFO shapes here with this. This Mm -hmm. is roughly in the vicinity of some mutilation, like alleged mutilation sites, in some of these same uh, municipalities that we've mentioned already, and some other ones too, so like Cabo Rojo, Canovanas, Naranito, wherever, wherever these places are in Puerto Rico, but associated potentially with literally the gambit of UFO shapes. Cigars, stars, pyramids, glowing balls. We've got red lights, yellow lights, and I think I'm listing it all. Hmm. There we go. What do you think of this? Red lights, yellow lights, things going crazy. Right. That's interesting. Like I said, it's a very fitting connection, draws a lot of parallels to other cases. Like, we haven't covered Skinwalker on the show, per se, but that definitely... You know, there's like I, like I said at the very beginning, there's a lot of conflation between a lot of these phenomena and whether or not you want to connect those dots and draw those lines and say that they're related, say that perhaps there could be correlations, not exactly causations. Who knows if you want to go down that road? Yeah, there was know. a family, the Rojas family, like just to give an example of like real correlation here with these, mm-hmm. with these sightings and then attacks. This was in the late 90s. They, as a family, observed a UFO in their neighborhood, Barrio Hato, um, just before a horse and several goats in that community were found dead. And everyone believed it to be a chupacabra attack mm-hmm. simultaneously with them witnessing a UFO. Of an apparent chupacabra attack. I wonder if they were drained. I wonder if there was organs missing. We I, didn't, I didn't get the specifics on that. But Again, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, U, that's the UFO connection, potentially. The UFO connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm buying into that a little bit. I think what another interesting connection to all of this. Again, we've already talked about the American Southwest, but... Again, it seems as if, like you already pointed to, like Tobias, he's written about this and many other people have. And the idea that after these initial sightings of Puerto Rico in the mid-1990s, again, there there's even earlier examples, right, of, yeah. of these dead animals, of just all sorts of weird stuff happening in California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. We even got one in Wisconsin up here, too, just for good measure. In Wisconsin? No way. <laughs> yeah, courtesy of our good friend uh, Rob Morphy over at uh, the Kryptonaut Podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, in Miami as well. So we've already reported on a few of these, like the, the mid-70s, the Rio Valley 
case that we um, covered at the very top, as well as the other, was the Arizona case. But in Miami, uh, Northwest Miami, rural area, 1996, 40 animals killed. One woman reported seeing a dog-like figure standing up with two short hands in the air. <laughs> two short hands. Dogs mm. don't do that. They don't. They don't. That's almost like a massive, uh, it's like Timon from The Lion King. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. What are those called again? Those uh, meerkats. Meerkats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Animals. They weren't too specific in this case. It's not as if they said killed and drained or killed with organs missing. No. But we just wanted to throw these in here just to give an example of the spread. Just the very fact of like 40 animals. I guess that's a lot. Like if you're thinking pack mentality, if there's a bunch of creatures involved, then perhaps. But that just seems like just like a, a bloody massacre. That doesn't seem like any sort of like subsistence hunting. Not really. Or anything like that. No. No. And then, of course, <laughs> brought to you by none other than Rob Morphy. Woohoo! over at the Cryptonaut podcast, mm-hmm. we have a Wisconsin sighting. And this was from a woman named Abby Lorenz. And she claimed, apparently she took a, a photo of some weird animal. And uh, essentially this was something that came out only at night. And it would sit on its haunches like a kangaroo and just ate crab apples. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> like a gi- what looked to be like a giant, a gigantic, <laughs> like, like bat, I guess. Like a, basically like a giant... And you know, that ties in perfectly to Fright Night that we were watching the other night where it was the, the kid, it's like a Ooh, 1980s yes. uh, movie where he essentially, he believes that his next door neighbor is a vampire. Right. And in that whole freaking movie, every single scene with the vampire, he's eating fruit. That's right. So that's an interesting connection, even though it's totally fictional. <laughs> I had no idea where you were going with that, but that's an, that is an interesting connection. Right? Eating fruit. Fruit, Look at fruit that, and eh? blood. It's just the only two elements you really need in your life, <laughs> apparently. Uh, yeah. But this is interesting because this description is very familiar to uh, the residents of Waukesha County. And they've had several run-ins with these things that are known as phantom kangaroos. <laughs> and yeah, it seems as if this could be an example of a neo-chupacabra. Long-tailed, virtually hairless, canid-like creatures, no real association with a traditional chupacabra in the sense that there are no spikes. Yeah. There's no huge, long, gaping teeth with glowing red eyes. Right. And... Yeah, so and that's we're a interesting. Ways away from the and epicenter. the idea, the notion connected all this is that oh, is the chupacabra migrating? Is it going right. northward? Yeah. So everyone be afraid. Just be afraid. Yeah, keep your eyes open. <laughs> Even though we're past Halloween, <laughs> there's so many different weird angles to this though. And I threw this one in because I just thought this was kind of just totally bizarre and just reminded me of X Files to the core. Because uh, X Files, they actually did do a Chupacabra episode, and they were down yeah, in New Mexico. Did. Was it New Mexico or actually Mexico? They I can't went remember. To? We should watch it again. We should, but unfortunately, friggin' Netflix took down all of our X Files, so we have no more X Files. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate you. And another thing, I'm going to bitch about about Netflix. I on Halloween went to watch the original Halloween movie from 1978 because I had seen it advertised on Netflix all month. Halloween, they take it down. Not November first. I'm on angry. Halloween. I'm very angry. Anyways. How much sense does that make? Bizarre. Anyways. I was upset. Mm. Anyways. So we're talking about conspiracies here. FBI, NASA, <laughs> who knows? Basically U.S. governmental conspiracies. Well, you, it goes beyond the U.S. government. Chilean Air Force is involved in this. Ooh, yeah. So yeah, there was a witness in Puerto Rico, uh, an airport worker, 
And they described, this was a nameless person, even though they were on the documentary, they did tell their story. But essentially, they described how they were working at the airport one day, and there was, it was a very auspicious day. They had essentially shut down the entire airport. There was no commercial planes taking off that day. There were no no members of the public there from what I gathered from this report. But essentially, this guy was working, and he reported how there was a bunch of suspicious-looking cages with large creatures inside. And they were rocking the cages quite violently, and they were kind of like, they are on the tarmac. They were waiting to be loaded into a plane. And officials said that they were waiting for the Chilean Air Force to airlift these things out. Oh, sorry, I do have a name here. Yay, Eduardo Ars. Ah, yes, Eduardo Ars. I I don't even know how you say that. But he was, yeah, this airport employee. And he doesn't guarantee that this was a chupacabra, of course. He just saw that there was a very strange amount of sound and violence emanating from these things. And there was very, the strength of these animals was unnatural. It was almost like having humongous, like, gorillas in cages. Yeah, like there was nothing in the area that would have been able to, that they would have put in there. It's like, what, 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 yeah. And the most bizarre part was the behavior on the part of the officials. It was very clear, according to Eduardo, that they wanted to get out as fast as possible. Uh, They just wanted to exit the area ASAP. And he was just totally weirded out by this. But again, the story just melts away at that point. So I guess the idea with this would essentially be that somewhere on the island of Puerto Rico, there is like testing going on. Like there's essentially like either Mm -hmm. genetic experiments and there actually was some interesting stuff going on, not in, um, or sorry, yeah, I think it was in Puerto Rico. I think it's a little bit further here, but the idea that there was these monkeys, rhesus monkeys that were being, um, they were being experimented on. There was blood experiments um, and a population of rhesus monkeys that were involved with this. And it, this is from Coleman. This is a Nat Geo article. Okay. And Coleman um, Lauren Coleman, I should say his full name. He said that these monkeys are often known to stand on their hind legs and they possibly could have been an escape troop from this specific experimental. What a blunder that would be, right? You're literally experimenting on chimps and then there's just you... like a pack of rabid yeah. chimps that get out. Exactly. Like what if they actually are like blood hungry because they were like doing some sort of like cannibalistic experiments on them? Who knows? But then it's just like that only accounts for some of the attacks, right? Because then yeah. you have these systematic blood draining removal of organs. Like the that thing is, is different. Too, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm not even sure. Reese's monkeys. Um, let's see how tall they stand. Yeah. Let's look that up. Standing height. This, this essentially all ties into a political angle though too, right? The idea of like the United States not caring about Puerto Rico, like kind of just using it as whatever it wants, doing experiments there, Mm -hmm. allowing the municipalities to be susceptible to the chupacabra. They kind of could. Maybe it's um, 1.74. Oh, no, no, no. This is feet. Sorry, I thought it was meters. Hmm. 1.74 feet. No. No, that doesn't make sense. No. Unless they're so genetically mutated, they're like five times the size. (laughs) 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 Which... Yeah. Radioactive monkeys. Woo! <laughs> Radioactive monkeys. I mean, yeah, th- this all They're ties in, wings. though, into, like... <laughs> the jumping capability kind of ties into that, though. Potentially. But it doesn't match the, the leg description, though, of being more kangaroo. True. Looking like a kangaroo. Like, larger, more powerful 
sitting on your haunches, mm-hmm. like on your back legs, right? Yeah. But like some people do believe that the chupacabra and the spread of this monster has something to do with basically anti-U.S. sentiment found across Latin America. As then, and this is especially in Puerto Rico, right? Because there's this position there where it's like it's kind of this weird quasi non-state territory of the U.S., right? Where there's like most Puerto Ricans, you know, they, they don't see themselves as at all associated with the U.S., right? And I think like unless a lot it's of Puerto this, Rican Day, unless it's Puerto Rican Day, the Puerto, Puerto Rican, Rican Day, Day Parade. parade. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. There was top secret U.S. scientific experiments going on in the uh, El uh, Yunque rainforest. Could this potentially be an explanation of El Chupa, like you're talking about here with these oh, with yeah. this guy at the airport witnessing this stuff? Like, basically, in a lot of ways, it seems as a dumping ground oh, for the U.S. It's a it's a quasi monarch program. Yeah. Except instead of hunting and capturing them, they're creating these crazy things. Creating monsters? Yeah. That's actually a really interesting thing, though. The idea that, that, yeah, I actually never even... I mean, an experiment gone wrong? Is that what we're dealing with here? Well... or, 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 not an experiment gone wrong necessarily, but like captured creature, like alien creature, like creep, like a, like kind of like the thing, except not quite as awful as the thing, right? Captured, experimented on, tested, and got loose. And now it's wreaking vengeance. But why is it going after cattle? And yeah, why unless, unless it is something that was top secret military material and they were feeding it goats and livestock and all that stuff. So that's what it's used to preying on. Right. Hmm. Conspiracies. All in all, though, here, essentially, like the chupacabra has been claimed to be responsible for like hundreds and hundreds of animal deaths has been cited by many individuals and groups of people over the years, uh, possibly as early as the 50s, even back to the 1540s. But it's time to get into some theories. We've already talked about a few of them. Break it down. But let's go through, let's just kind of like go through some of these ones we've talked about. You just yes. mentioned monkeys I as that did. kind of interesting thing. Then there's the yes. classic there's, court, kind of boring ones. Well, exactly. Let's go from mundane to more fantastical. So yeah, monkeys, one possibility. There was that example cited by Coleman. Wild dogs, again, we've already kind of loosely mentioned this, but it isn't very likely as the behaviors and the trace evidence do not really point to dog behavior, dog-style attacks, right? Right. Um, no pack mentality, no ripping, tearing, no dog, like paw prints visible in the ground, nothing like that. And this theory does hold a certain amount of water in regards to the later, like the 2000 sightings, where it seems to have morphed into something that's kind of like a, a scabies-ridden wild animal as far yeah. as like a coyote or a dog or something exactly. like that. Simple cases of mange, which is very unfortunate, but you know... And that's where we get into the manger and coyotes. And most scientists and researchers are convinced that the chupacabra is none other than just mistaken mangy coyotes. And their appearance is just horribly marred by the, the these scars and these rashes and almost like, yeah, like burnt skin looking type things just because of the bacterial infection. And it's really sad. Like there was this one guy, um, his name was Kevin Keel. He is a... Um, official with the Southeastern Cooperative of Wildlife Diseases and Studies at the University of Georgia. And he said that, it, yeah, he's he's been sent dozens and dozens of these reported killed chupacabras or like, you know, ranchers, things that have shot these animals and sent in the photo. And he's like, yeah, it's just a really sorry excuse for a coyote, but it's still a coyote. Yeah. And he said here, he went on to say, I wouldn't think it's a chupacabra if I saw it in the woods. But then again, I've been looking at coyotes and foxes with mange for a while. A lay person, however, might be confused as to its identity. Which makes sense, I guess. But 
again, you can counter that by saying these people live in these areas and they would be accustomed to... You would think. Yeah. So for me, I don't like to discount local knowledge over expert knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. It just is weird though, because if it's just a, a case of these mangy coyotes and dogs, how the hell are we ending up with these precision cuts and the blood sucking aspects? Because there's... As we've already kind of reported the or said, the reports themselves, they are conspicuously absent of any pools of blood around these animals, right. any sorts of rational explanations as to the blood loss. And you made the comment mid-episode, a, a lack of footprints leading and leaving the sites where these things happen. Yes. There's no, there's no coyote tracks leading up to where there's then these precision-like holes and chickens and goats and things like that, and then tracks leading yeah. away. There's so, no tracks at all. So we're kind of getting to this, this critical junction where you can go down the road of the, the skeptical expert, or you can go down the road of the farmers and the ranchers and the locals that have experienced these horrors firsthand and can't explain them. So in my, like Lauren Coleman, he did weigh in this issue even more so on the idea that it is these mandarin coyotes or coyote dog hybrids or koi dogs or whatever you want to call them. And he, he said, it's a great explanation. It doesn't explain the whole legend. Right. Mm-hmm. And it can't. It, it just it just simply can't. Yeah. He actually went on to talk about some ideas on mass media, um, the creation of Chupacabra in Mexico and the U.S., this idea that <laughs> he cites this show called Christine, which is the Spanish language equivalent of Oprah. And this show, he argues, propelled Chupacabra into the consciousness of millions of Spanish speakers in Mexico and in southern U.S., mainly Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And so... Once this kind of caught the airwaves and hit the media, then it kind of just blew up. And this was also <laughs> the same time that the internet was kind of becoming a mainstream yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, more and more people are getting access to the web, stories, you know, it's the original creepypastas, perhaps, some true, some not, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it just adds to the whole conflation and the... Um, the mystery of it all. To be fair, I guess too, it's like, it's the beginning of the internet, but it's also before the internet, internet got way too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like potentially too, right? Like very true. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. But it's funny too, because we do see an evolution of this creature. We see, you know, the, the mid 20th centuries all the way up to the 1990s. And then a kind of a decisive shift into the early 2000s, like we've already described yes. where it's moving away from being bipedal, more accounts of it being a dog-like creature as mm -hmm. opposed to like a, a scaly, like um, spine, spine backed thing. It's, yeah, it's just very interesting. So I've got a question for you. Do it's you, just very interesting. Do you think that that has to do <laughs> with the conjunction of, or sorry, like the, the, um, the corresponding UFO sightings? Because it's like, if you see a UFO, then you read a report about, about cattle being mutilated or whatever. Mm hmm your thought about like what you're picturing the creature being in your head is going to be distinctly less dog-like. Yeah. We're moving into the 2000s. There's a lack of UFO sightings that have been associated with the creature, even though there's probably a ton of UFO sightings. They're just not necessarily being associated because there's so many more paranormal phenomena happening now. True. It's just not being connected as easily, I guess. Do you think that maybe has something to do with it? Like that makes sense to me, I guess. So it's like, 2000s, less UFO sightings, my imagination is going to go a little bit more animal-like 
rather than towards the alien side of the description. Yeah. No, I suppose so. And then if we're talking more rural areas, <laughs> interestingly enough, there could have been UFOs in the area and no one saw them. <laughs> yeah, that's actually very true. No one looked up. And the fact that mid-2000s or early to mid-2000s, you have the explosion of cell phone technologies and people are glued to the phones even more so than they are now. Or no, I'd say they're more so glued now than back then, but even so. Still. First wave, first generation. Definitely. Mm-hmm. We can talk vampire bats here a tiny bit. We mentioned it throughout the show. Yeah. Like just because of the physiology of, of yeah, of the attacks or very much so. I mean like or the I'm, assumed physiology. Yeah, exa- well, exactly. <laughs> the alleged physiology and the idea that like if it's not going to be an insect-like creature, then some sort of giant mammal would make sense, so like a vampire bat does live off of blood right but i mean it's um, they're, they're small right they, they don't drain their victims of blood they make small cuts they lick up the blood you know bats mosquitoes these t- these types of creatures that live off blood they're small and stealthy they're not large and ominous and noticeable right mm-hmm. they've got these specialized instruments to do what they need to do and then special enzymes in order to like extract nutrients f- from the blood so a creature the size of a chupacabra like a large dog by all accounts, it would starve to death just living off blood. But does that maybe then account for the missing organs in some mm, of these accounts, right? Yeah. It's not clearly not just living off blood. It likes some fresh liver, lungs, and maybe some fruits as well. And maybe some fruit. Because <laughs> apparently vampires like fruit. Apparently. And, and then again, going back to this giant insect idea, we've come across this a million times in movies, in other sort of research and things like that. The idea of the exoskeleton just being too big. But I like to me though, is this just like a perception issue we're having here? You know what I mean? Because like obviously there's physics to this. It's like, okay, if you took a spider and enlarged it to the size of a semi truck with like the gravitational force we have mm-hmm. here, it's like it, it w- wouldn't necessarily work. Oh yeah, and we've gone into that discussion when we watched like eight legged freaks. Right, like exactly. That, it- but if this creature potentially, I mean, it's not necessarily of this earth, like it's not the exact same carbon-based like construction of whatever an insect would be with an exoskeleton, maybe it could support the weight of a five-foot-tall creature that can leap and bound and jump and move. Because insects move very much like that on their mm-hmm. small scale in our world, right? They jump and they're very quick. It's almost like a grasshopper-like leg zone, yeah. too, if you're going kangaroo. Don't quote me on this, but I remember hearing something about how we used to have like dragonflies that were like a meter long back oh, yeah. in the age of the dinosaurs and things oh, like that so yeah no we, de- we definitely did giant insects for sure but i mean giant. yeah yeah let's talk paranormal for a second again because cool. we've already alluded to the ufo connection there's some other people out there that are throwing out some interesting things one in particular a guy named virgilio sanchez a doctor doctor virgilio sanchez researcher of the paranormal so i'm not sure what his actual credentials are okay yeah. <laughs> but he has made some connections to the gargoyle phenomena and he has connected attacks in chile to attacks in the u.s europe spain because of the physical similarities in the reports of the creatures to a certain degree i would say behaviorally though i'm not sure if there there would be anything to really hold water with that one yeah he has obtained footprints from these gargoyle like beasts from around the world and many do look much like a dog footprint yeah Mm -hmm. he also reportedly has hair samples from chile and testing supposedly according to him revealed that it wasn't any known dog 
That being said, he did not allow the Animal X documentarians that he was featured in the show um, to test them for themselves. So that's kind of suspicious in my mind. Yeah. I'm like, if you really want to solve this, why wouldn't you give the material? Let's do this. Let's get it definitive. Like, I don't know. But Sanchez, he does draw other connections to UFO activity. Yes. So he's kind of all over the map with his things. And to be honest, like, I don't know how much, <laughs> I don't know how much I want to really, I just love the connection to gargoyles. That's why I kind of pulled this and threw it in here. Cause I was like, oh dang. But there is a, like, there is a crossover in terms of description. Like it does sound, we've done a gargoyles episode. Go back and listen to it mm-hmm. if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, Winged creatures, um, strong, night, dwellers, night dwellers, even though there were reports of seeing this chupacabra in the day. A few of them. No specifics as far as blood draining though. Not with gargoyles. No, definitely not. I, but the, the pursuit of people though, like the interest in, 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 uh, sort of harassing victims without like, there's no just like mm-hmm. straight kidnappings with these cases, right? No. It's always like with that gargoyle case, there was one, I believe with a family driving down the road and then they were chasing them in their yeah. car. Similar to Chupacabra. Similar. Another one that was quite similar to a story you mentioned, um, midway through this episode about, the encounter with it landing on that woman's roof and kind of slipping. That reminded me of that one gargoyle um, story we discussed where it was kind of essentially that too, where the creature kind of swooped out of a tree, I think, and came over top of the witness and landed on the roof behind him. Yeah. And then they, I think they booked it into the house. I'm not sure hundred percent, but that to me again, it's like this weird, is it actually flying? Is it jumping? what's going on here? I don't know. But that's just the weird thing, right? Because I feel like right now in my head, there's this like revolving door of Chupacabra, of Mothman, of... um, Jersey Devil. Of Jersey Devil, of Spring Heel Jack a little bit. And also, oh, I'm I'm forgetting the last one. Gargoyles, Chupacabra. Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil. Hmm. Oh, oh, Thunderbird. Thunderbird, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that Texas overlap too. Yeah, the Texas overlap. Definitely. (laughs) so we're gonna now going into another overlap because we didn't really mention this off the bat but a lot of people do connect um the movie species as an origins to the tale of chupacabra originating in the 1990s because it did yeah this was a sci-fi horror film that premiered in 1995 and i pulled up the plot because we had never even seen this movie before and i was like okay let's see what's the connection here got ben kingsley Ben. No way. <laughs> yeah, right. he's in it. This was just a Google synopsis of species, though. It says here, when government scientist Xavier Fitch, played by Ben Kingsley, intercepts a space transmission containing the genetic sequence of an alien life form, he produces, or sorry, uses it to produce Sill, a gorgeous alien-human hybrid. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, Sill ends up, you know, growing exponentially. She ends up wrecking the laboratory, begins a violent quest for a, a suitable male to impregnate her. That's kind of where it leads off of. And I was like, hey, well, that's not even remotely similar to any of this. But apparently the monster had similarities to these Chupacabra reports. Hmm. And, and the alien hybrid idea, potentially. The alien hybrid, yeah, definitely. That crosses into what mm-hmm. you were saying with the conspiracy. The idea of, like, this guy seeing a caged creature, mm-hmm. government, government testing and things like that. Yeah. What's your favorite? So you're leaning UFO, hey? I'm only leaning UFO. I'm leaning UFO for two reasons. One, the very like obvious just relationship between the 1975 UFO sightings and then the, the, the spree of attacks. 
same as in the 90s in Puerto Rico, but then also just the description of the creature because the early description, like, you know, people say trust your gut. Like I'm going with like the early descriptions with this creature. So it's like the spines, the the large lidless eyes, lidless lips, um, you know, gray in color, like large rounded head. Hmm. The, the description as it changes into the 2000s, that has to do with the internet, with random photos coming out of mange-ridden dogs, right? Like, all this other stuff, like, movies and pop culture, like, affecting people's opinions of it. And that's how it morphed from the initial sightings, which were very much alien in description. Mm -hmm. I'm leaning towards the idea that there is a secret underground connection for taking animal blood and selling it as human blood on the black market. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. This is um this is type O, really rare. It ends up just being chicken blood. Yummy. Hmm. You never know. They could even there's all sorts of black market channels. You could you could literally sell this stuff as human blood for like ritual sacrifice, like, you know, like any sort of yeah. ritualistic practice, anything to do with black magic or, you know, things like that. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to paint witchcraft and all that stuff is like, you need like blood, but right. witchcraft is very bloody. I'm sorry. It no, just it, is. It, yeah. It's a wouldn't lot of blood. It make, wouldn't it just be easier to try to like befriend someone who works at a slaughterhouse or something? Or like just not try to work a deal connection. with, or just no. pop into your local butcher and work a deal. No. Like this just seems cumbersome. <laughs> It just doesn't seem like a good business endeavor. I think it's a very inventive business. I, if I'm moving away from my alien idea, straight, sinister cult and mm -hmm. or governmental experiments are right up there with fun yeah. ideas for this because it kind of makes sense. You'd be testing on a creature or developing some sort of creature yep. in a place where you don't really care necessarily if people see it, if mm -hmm. you're the U.S. government, right? Or you're not a part of the U.S. government. You're like a Dr. Moreau where you're living on the, in, you know, in the shadows. And that's why it is intelligent. It moves from place to place. And it can, you know, go to the places where it knows it's not going to, you know. It almost sounds like a Moreau-esque creature vivisected together yeah. featuring multiple different Island of, of Dr. Moreau, classic tale. Very much so. I wish there was an actual movie we could watch that wasn't as crappy as the one with Val Kilmer. But, yeah. yeah, they're going to remake it at some point. And if, some, if somebody doesn't, I'm writing the screenplay for that before I die. <laughs> the better version of Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Definitely. Actually, you know, another side note I have that I forgot to mention when we were talking about UFOs and everything. We actually have another episode coming down the pipe for you guys next in the next two weeks. And it is going to be on The Grinning Man also known as Injured Cold. Right. And there's a lot of very intriguing <laughs> tales connected to that. And... There was one from Italy that was quite insane, and we're, I'm not going to really spoil it, but he did allude to some reptilian-like you, like alien entities that he was um, uh, taken by, abducted by. And to me, I'm like, oh my goodness! So we're getting, yeah, we have the reptilian alien UFO crossover. Okay, again, <laughs> again, yeah. again. So w wait, wait for that one, guys, because yeah. I have been having a ton of fun researching that. Thanks to Jordan Yu for su suggesting. Absolutely, um, absolutely love this topic. But this was just okay. Can I just say, Chupacabra is such a weird mishmash, just. I don't even know how to even describe it, really, because yeah, for me, no, it's... I'm right there with you. I've always, like, it's a cornucopia of just craziness. 
Yeah, which is and, and what makes it especially weird is because, yeah, it's a cornucopia of craziness, but it's right lumped in there with like the standard most well-known like cryptid creatures. Mm-hmm. So like Sasquatch, like Loch Ness, you know, Champ in Lake Champlain, Ogopogo, Chupacabra. Like it's right, it's right up there, even mm-hmm. though it actually has like so many more similarities with like, again, shout out to the Kryptonaut boys with like the creatures they cover on their show where it's like just a big WTF, right? Like just a big, like what, like this makes almost, it makes absolutely no sense with a lot of the time, right? Whereas with Nessie or with Sasquatch, we're like, okay, we're analyzing footprints, you know, we're looking at territories where the creature could be or like Mm -hmm. trying to make sense of where it could hide in a cave underwater if we're looking at the Ogopogo, but that's just not the case with Chupacabra. So it really is an enigma in cryptozoology. It's the most unique cryptid to me in that sense because it crosses over into all these categories. If it even is a cryptid. If it is, if it even is a cryptid at all. Would you even call, would you still call it a cryptid if it's a animal, but an animal genetically created by the government, that's now this anomaly out in the wild. Well, it's a, it's a creature that lives and breathes and dies. So right. yeah. So I technically, would. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whether or not it's a natural thing or yeah, exactly. A right. man-made artificial creation. Well, you guys know where we're leaning with all this madness. We want to know what you think. We really do. So mm-hmm. hit, hit us up. I mean, if you don't like commenting in public places on social media, send us an email. We love getting your guys' emails. Mm-hmm. Into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. Send us your ideas. Send us your Film Friday suggestions. We're going to get back at Film Friday in the next little bit here. Maybe we should do Fright Night this week. That'd be fun. That'd be really Fright fun. Night. Keep the vampire train rolling. Yeah. As, we have Tales from the Crypt, too. Oh, God. That was so much fun. That would be really fun. We just don't want Halloween to end, either. No. So this, we sort of felt like Chupacabra, like, sort of lumps in there with the monsters and Halloween mm-hmm. and that sort of vibe. So we're keeping it rolling. Not ready to let go yet. Not ready to no. let go. Like, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> thanks again to Jordan Yu for idea for the next episode. So stay tuned for Grinning Man. And thank you uh, for pro- helping produce the show. Yes. And as always, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We have a couple newbies this month, which is awesome. Yay. Um, so yeah, check us out on Patreon. We've got some really cool stuff up there for you guys to enjoy, and you can support the show, keep the lights on around this place. Mm-hmm. Really, really appreciate that. We have some really cool stuff uh, coming down the pipe, too, for the Strange Pods Network. We've mentioned it in the past. It's still coming. We have some really cool like clothing line stuff and just some other projects that yeah. are going to be launching there. Our blog is up, though, Strange the, Times. Yeah, Ch- Strange Times. Check it out. There's a lot of really cool content up there by all of our contributors and go to our instagram because we posted this amazing piece of art that doodle kev one of our um close friends and uh you know correspondents or whatever you yeah. want to call him yeah he did this up for us and we can't wait we're gonna do some original merch for you guys so mm-hmm. it's just uh just hang tight there for a second there yeah, okay definitely mm-hmm. right guys well thank you so much for listening to uh this episode and until next time on into the portal your gateway to the bizarre This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. 
Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. <laughs>